There's a cold silence that we don't dare speak. There's a wall between us and a river so deep. We keep pretending that there's nothing wrong. There's a code of silence and it can't go on. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on April the 15th, 2010. For the newcomers out there, you should look into CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com websites. You'll find hundreds of talks I've given in the past which you can download for free. While you're at it, in the front page there, go into the, the alternate sites I have up there. These are the official sites and uh, bookmark them for future use. It's a good idea because sometimes... The com site gets jammed, too many folk in it at one time downloading, or else I can't upload because they don't increase my my unlimited disk space as it's supposed to. This way, you'll always get the latest downloads for free if you have these sites listed. And remember, one of the sites is alanwattsentient.sentinel.eu, and the Sentinel site has all the same audios for download. It also has transcripts, a lot of transcripts of a lot of the talks I've given, not all of them, but a lot of them. And you can choose from a variety of languages for download and print up, and you can pass them around to your friends. And remember, too, that you are the audience that bring me to you. I don't accept the cash from foundations, organizations, advertisers, or whatever else out there to, to sell products. And so that's why I don't really bring guests on, too. Most guests really are, are there to, to give you their view of the world that scares you, and then they sell the product at the end. And uh, you feel kind of compromised. But however, it's, that was what business is all about. And, uh, and the patriot business is a business too. It needs money to keep going. Uh, the ads you hear on this show are paid directly by the advertisers to RBN for the airtime and for the staff and equipment, board ops, and their bills and maintenance and the transmission of the show. Very expensive business. And so it's up to you to keep me going. And you can do so by going into cuttingthroughmedics.com, seeing the books I have for sale, the discs I have for sale, and donating to me or purchasing uh, those particular books. Remember, the U.S., you can use uh, personal checks to Canada. You can also use international postal money order from your post office, MoneyGram, Western Union Cash, or if you want to uh, donate through PayPal, do so. Or you can donate using PayPal for a purchase. Just send a separate email with your name, address, and order, and I'll get it out to you. Same across the rest of the world, remember, PayPal uh, for ordering or donating, uh, separate email for purchase, uh, MoneyGram, Western Union, cash, and uh, that should get to me without any problems. For those who get the disc burned and pasted them to play on their CD players, you can get in touch with me at Alan Watt, Site 41, Box 4, Estaire, Ontario, Canada. P3E is a postal code 4N1. P3E4N1. And I generally talk about uh, the big cons that go on to try to show you that the world really is run by cons. It always has been. Uh, there were less cons in the, in the ancient times because they simply set armies upon the people with big swords and they'd slaughter a bunch of you to, to keep the rest of you in line. 
And whatever message the king wanted to get across was generally gotten across without too much problem. And that kept the public uh, paying whatever they had to pay uh, in the upward uh, mobility uh, brackets through their lords and uh, bigger lords and overlords to the king. That's how things worked. And nothing really has changed today except they call it democracy. And we go along with it because we believe in it, you see. It's important that the people believe in it, not so much the ones who rule it. Uh, it's like money. We've got to believe in money, that it works, and you can buy that bar of chocolate for your dollar. Uh, I don't know how much it costs these days, but it used to be less than a dollar. And as long as you believe in it, you can always get what you want. The big boys want you to believe in things like that. Back with more after this break. Alan Watt, and we're cutting through the matrix, talking about the, the system that runs the world. It's chronology, as I say, chronology. It's important to make everyone believe in it, and that way it works, you see. We all think and discuss and even argue about different parts of it, like left and right uh, parties and so on like that. And we, we tend to believe in it. Most folk do. And uh, it's really important that we do that to make it work and function. At the top, they're all one big bu- uh, bunch, one big, they're one big party, really. They all join the, the one party. And they keep the game going on behalf of the masters, the ones who put them in, the ones with uh, more bucks than they have themselves. And they set the world stage as to eras, what kind of an era we're going to go into now. You see, we're post uh, the Cold War era. During the Cold War era, in the U.S. and Canada and in Britain and elsewhere, uh, those who were in the upper houses of government, that's generally called the Senate or the House of Lords, uh, were the first ones to get whiffs of uh, upcoming contracts, possibly, that they could push through, and parliaments would have to approve them uh, for missiles and anti-defense missiles and anti-missile, missile, missiles, and etc., and an endless variety of missiles. And it was big, big dollars, and they all had shares in them, you see. Some of them, some of them were even on the boards of directors of these big corporations, the military-industrial complex. And uh, they knew, too, that in a post-war world, they'd have to change their tactics and uh, because they still wanted to ride high on the public expense for stuff that was basically useless and would never be used. And they came up, of course, with other ideas, and they, and they tossed about uh, security. Well, terrorism could be made to be the big ploy of the future, especially because we've got to invade uh, a few countries in the Middle East down the road there in a few years' time. Uh, this was discussed uh, back in the 90s, early 90s, with Maggie Thatcher. She talked about uh, the next war being on fundamentalist uh, countries and fundamental religions, uh, starting with the Middle East. So it was all planned and they knew where they were going, but even that wasn't enough. Uh, they thought, well, what about security cameras and equipment and the massive boom uh, that would be in security? So they, they went into organizing that and setting up companies and, and getting shares in other companies to make sure they, they still had a massive income coming in, and the public always buy them, you see. That's the beauty of it. You can have the company, and the, you're in the government, and you get the government to buy your products. 
it's not bad. You know, you could, if you could make something like, uh, say, rubber boots for the weather uh, and uh, guarantee that the government would mandate that everybody must buy your rubber boots, you'd, you'd have, well, what a great business it would be. And, well, that's basically how it is in reality, you know. And they thought, too, well, what, that's maybe not enough. Um, there's a lot of money in security, but eventually we'll, we'll all have cameras everywhere. Well, we can have Mark two, three, and four, and five, six cameras, new gadgets, new gizmos. We could put them all in at once, but that'd be one sale only. So we'll give them a zoom lens first of all, then, then we'll add audio to the cameras, and then we'll add infrared to the cameras, and then et cetera, et cetera, you see. So they have all these different models to dish out and piecemeal, like the, like they dish out computers to us, Mark so-and-so and Windows number so-and-so, uh, where they could have given you the end product at the beginning if they really wanted to. And it's a, they also said, well, this, this global warming thing could really work wonders. At first, they were going to put all their money into global cooling because uh, um, in the 1920s, if you look at the old National Geographic at the time, uh, they said at the time, they started off actually with global warming and it was a big crisis because the Arctic was just disappearing and uh, uh, and that was, was happening. The, the land was being seen for the first time. Uh, well, really it's the first time because not many people hang around up there to see what was going on. You see, that's really what it was. And they were sending all those exploring ships around to, for different passages and routes through. So uh, they noticed it was disappearing, and it was suddenly, suddenly, well, this must be the first time this has ever happened. And then around the 40s, or 30s actually, lo and behold, uh, it was covered in ice again, and uh, there's a coming ice age. Uh, so they pushed the coming ice age deal for a while, thinking how that would affect the climate. They went into all the, the possibilities of owning the food supply and so on, and all that kind of stuff, always to keep power and control over the public. And they wrote books about the coming ice age. And I've read the articles from mainstream newspaper uh, of their day on the air. And uh, Paul Ehrlich and all these guys were all involved in it because they're really the, the prostitutes for the agenda. And they're really eugenicists. They don't like the general population terribly much at all. Then they chose, of course, global warming because the, the, the cooling phase uh, was time to go over. We go through these phases every 30, 40 years or whatever, and uh, with sun cycles and all that. So now they thought, well, now the missiles are gone. But yeah, we've got security up. We've got anti-terrorism going. What can we, we use to, what next to get lots of money coming in? Well, we'll, we'll go for the global uh, um, warming. And uh, and they'll all have shares, I guarantee you, and the big companies uh, that are into mining. And, and believe you me, when you go into the mining business, it's quite something to see who owns what and the directors. It's fascinating, especially aluminum oxide and the bariums and all the very, very metals, the exact same metals that all the patents were up there from the 1960s or 50s to do with this kind of thing if they ever wanted to spray in the future. Uh, you, you'll find all the big names there. So, and so now it's in the House of Lords or Senates, etc. have all got shares and uh, chairs on the boards of the big companies. They're, going to make, they're already making a fortune out of carbon credits and advising uh, other companies on investing in carbon. Well, here's one that was exposed recently, and it's from The Observer. It says, carbon credit documentaries should not have been shown, the BBC admits. It showed a, a particular a documentary. It says, uh, uh, um, it says, uh, corporations acts an observer investigation into secretive trust linked to socialite Robin Burley 
he's a big social, a big, big rich guy, uh, that funded a film on his carbon credits film called Environ Trade, Enviro Trade. And that's from 11th of April 2010. It says BBC has ruled a sympathetic documentary about the philanthropy, you know, they're all philanthropists at the top. Uh, philanthropy cat- capitalism, it's called, of socialite Robin Burley should not have been shown. Uh, the document about socialite Robin Burley and his covering credit business venture in Africa should never have been broadcast in internal inquiry by the corporation as found. Millions of viewers were misled because the sympathetic documentary shown on BBC World News failed to declare that it was financed by a secretive trust, a secretive trust that was linked to Burley. He owned it, you see. The BBC acted in response to an observer investigation into Burley's philanthropy capitalism venture in Mozambique. Taxpayers' money was used. See, they always use the taxpayers' money to, to, for their own business. It was a beautiful deal, this, isn't it? This, this new freedom, eh? this, this new, uh, this new post-democratic system, uh, was used to subsidize poor families there to protect forests and plant trees that absorb carbon dioxide. Envirotrade, uh, Burley's company, then sells carbon credits to celebrities and businesses wanting to offset their emissions. Customers who use Burley's venture to offset emissions include the agency that handles Brad Pitt and George Clooney. Uh, Rock Hopper TV, the production company that made the documentary, knew but did not disclose to BBC executives of links between Envirotrade and the Africa Carbon Livelihood Trust which funded the making of the documentary. Had it done so, taking the credit, the documentary, as it's called, taking the credit, would never have been shown, the BBC ruled, although it also claimed that the programme was balanced. Yeah, right. Burley set up and funded the Mauritius-based trust, but would not say who its other donors are or how much Rockhopper was paid to make the programme. Envirotrade saw it as a marketing opportunity. Well, oh, they'd, that, it was probably just a mistake. He just forgot to tell them. These, these wealthy elite socialites you see who are philanthropists are, are so altruistic. They've all, they've got their best interests at heart as they rake in, uh, your cash, you know. And then, of course, we have, uh, the investigation into, um, all the leaked emails and all the fake uh, documents put out by the the group that was sending all their data to the IPCC, the must-be hardened group that didn't believe in what they were doing. They were dedicated fanatics, actually. Uh, it was a must-be to get all this stuff believed by the general public, and it still is. They, they will, if God himself came back in all his glory, they'd have to nuke him. They'd send up missiles to nuke him. Nothing's going to stand in the, in the ways of this agenda as to control the entire planet and everybody on it, folks. And this is from Freakonomics, the New York Times blog. It says, more climate gate complications. The climate gate plot thickens. Now, Lord Oxborough, again, a member of the House of Lords, that's at the British Senate, only as a hereditary peer, uh, who was appointed to chair a scientific assessment panel that will examine the published, they actually have done it already, examined the published science of the Climatic Research Unit at the University of East Anglia. The one, is, the one of them is at the centre, but they found the other ones in the States and the ones in Australia were all in on the scams. They were lying through their teeth as well. Anyway, they're concentrated on this one. So they found that the guy who's investigating them 
has links to businesses that, that would benefit financially from low-carbon technology. Now, who is this guy anyway? Well, he was the chairman of the Royal Society, right, number one. Now, the Royal Society, uh, they vote to get people on board with consensus, like all these groups do. In other words, they're told to put their personal belief aside. This is a mandate. All in favor, aye. And uh, they drunkenly put their hands up. And uh, that's going to be the mandate. So they sent this guy who came from a society that's already put all their backing behind the belief in global warming. You see? This is an independent inquirer, number one. So, But it says here... Um, it says here that uh, he has links to businesses that would benefit financially from low-carbon technology. And they've got links. They've got links here to the businesses. You can check them up yourself. And now there's some music coming in, and I'll continue with this to show you how corrupt all these guys. This always been this way, folks. Be back after these messages. Hi folks, this is Alan Watt. We're cutting through the matrix onto Lord Oxborough, who's the independent uh, inquirer heading the commissioner, the commission into the leaked emails and the shenanigans at the University of East Anglia and others, of course. And, and they vindicated them. Oh, they're all, they did all their jobs perfectly well. Perfectly well, they did. He said, well, what do you expect from a guy who's, you know, on the take? Because that's what it is, folks. They're all in it together. They've got too much to make out of this whole career for some of the scientists. Where Oxburgh himself has made money, I'm sure, on previous shenanigans before. As I say, the House of Lords are the first ones to get a sniff of what's coming up. Anyway, he was also, as I say, the head, the head of the Royal Society as well at one point. Uh, he was also, I think, head of one of the Shell Oil or something as well. Diff- different things like that. Little things like that, you know. Anyway, it says here that... Uh, the chairman, the capture, uh, yeah, he's, he's, he's uh, the chairman of the, capture, the Carbon Capture and Storage Association, big company that, and the wind energy company, Falk Renewables. Interesting that Falk Renewables because they're into different things, including making these awful windmills uh, that cost the taxpayers more than they'll ever produce. And uh, I think Mr. Cameron, who's running for the Conservatives, his father, I think it was, um, it just happened to get, get, get a sniff too, somehow. They always get sniffs from uh, some sources within government, or am I being crazy? But anyway, they got, he eventually got a bunch of them put on one of his estates. There's got a few estates, you see, for grouse shooting. You know, they, they pop along there in their plus fours, and they, they shoot occasional grouse, which beaters beat up to make them fly for them, uh, and stuff like that. So he's breaking a couple of million uh, uh, on one of his estates, and they're just going to put two or three up on another estate. And so he'll have a few million pounds of British tax money to, to tide him over. That's per year, I think, for the privilege of having these on his land, Mr. Mr. from the, the, the um, Mr. Cameron. But anyway, that's just how it really is at the top, you see. Anyway, it says, uh, the, the energy company Falk Renewables, Trevor Davis, the University of East Anglia's uh, pro-vice chancellor for research, said the university was aware of Lord Oxborough's connections, but believed he would act in an utterly objective way. Yeah, of course he would. He's above, above reproach, you know. That's how it is up there, you know. 
It's unthinkable. And I said, that kind of stuff they try to silence you with. Yeah, it's unthinkable. The men of that reputation. Anyway, that's how it really works, folks. And it's always worked that way, you know. Always worked that way. And uh, from the 22nd of March, 2010, from the Royal Society's uh, website, it says the Royal Society panel is announced. And uh, it says the Royal Society panel that, that is going, it has done already, to examine the scientific aspects of the Climate Gate affair has been announced. This is the press release from the UEA via a reader. doesn't appear in the EU website at the moment. Lord Oxburgh, FRS, a former chair of the Lord Select Committee, on science and technology is to chair an independent scientific assessment panel to examine important elements of the published science of the Climatic Research Unit at the University of East Anglia. And um, this appointment has been made on the recommendation of the Royal Society, the guys who says we're all behind this idea of global warming. It's a very independent inquiry. I'll put these links up on my site at the end of the show, remember. And... Um, uh, another thing, here's the, he, what, he's already decided this uh, this impartial character. You know, it says here BBC, um, 14th of April, no malpractice by the climate unit. Well, my my, I guess he really thought long and hard about it. Says there was no scientific malpractice at the University of East Anglia's climatic research unit, which was at the centre of the climate gate affair. This is according to an independent panel chaired by Lord Oxborough which was convened to examine the research published by the unit. And yada, 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 yada. So it's exonerated, you see, by a man who's above above suspicion. He's, he's, he's above suspicion. The man who's got his fingers in every pie to do with the profits from the carbon stuff and all that. But uh, this is old. To me, this is old stuff. I grew up in Britain watching this kind of stuff, as I say, when they were doing the same things with the, with the Cold War and Lockheed and all the rest of it, missiles. and Oh, that's obsolete. It's a month old. We need a new one. Oh, the Russians have got a new one. It's faster. We need another $10 billion for this one. And blah, da, da. on it went. And these guys were all raking in the cash, all these lords. That's reality, you see. That's the, the reality of it all. And... Um, uh, another one here is Climate Change Capital. Uh, Climate Change Capital is a leading investment banking group specializing in the commercial opportunities created by the low-carbon economy. This is their own website. It advises and invests in companies who recognize that combating global warming is both a necessity and an economic opportunity. And it goes on about investing in, and advising uh, people across the planet. You know, The CCC, they also call themselves for renewable energy. But then you go down there and you see who the directors are. You see, very interesting names. Mr. Cameron's there, you see. Uh, anyway, it's got an uh, advisory board as well. And you pop down through there. And who's on it? Well, Lord Ronald Oxborough again. My, the man pops up everywhere. But that's just cool. It's, it's there, I'm sure, like, like a priest would be uh, at a meeting, you know, as an impartial observer. <laughs> <laughs> but there you go. But mind you, Al Gore used the same excuse. He said, because his, he's rolling in the billions now in carbon credits since he was the guy who went ahead and started the first company. And uh, he said, well, he said, uh, he says, I believe in investing in things which I believe in. Uh-huh. That, was his, that was his answer to it. Yeah. But uh, that's how it goes. 
And then, of course, in the register, too, same story. Oops, chief climate gate investigator failed to declare eco-directorship. And here's the music coming in, so I'll be back with more after this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi, folks. I am Alan Watts, and we're cutting through the matrix. I've talked before about how we're managed so easily by those who understand the, the sciences. And we've been trained already, mind you. It's almost like pre-training, conditioned to be upgraded all the time via the media and via ads and entertainment uh, that put out the ideas into your mind. And uh, everything became, becomes normal. Absurd things eventually become normal because you've heard or you've seen it in fiction or even comedies is a great way of getting things across. Uh, and it's familiar to you. So if it's familiar to you, go along with it. And you watch the, the progression of, uh, or what we're told is the progression of microchipping technology and how wonderful it's becoming and uh, all that kind of stuff. In actuality, they had this about 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. As I say, same with the computers. They could have dished out the last version before the cloud, as they're going to do shortly, um, uh, a long time ago. But they give you it in bits and pieces and make you buy, buy, buy. And they give you, like the Internet, they give you much more options, more personal freedom. But they're, they're really monitoring you from the beginning without your permission. Um, but they didn't tell you that. They made you feel you were in charge of your own security. And they made it call, they called it a personal computer. Personal, you see. It's yours. It's mine. If they made you buy one so they could monitor you, you'd be a bit suspicious, you see. But if you buy the one uh, yourself, then you, you, it's mine. It's, it's my personal computer. All that data is mine, you see. Simple psychology. And what you do with animals or people is you familiarize them little by little until they adapt. Remember what Skinner said. He said, if you want to alter the behavior of people, you simply, um, you simply introduce things into their environment that wasn't, that were not there before and people adapt to them. As you've adapted to all the cameras as have adapted to the, the the cops in the subways and getting padded down as they adapt to all the things in the airports. And it's the same thing with their technology. Uh, we will sell our souls for what we think is convenience. Uh, whereas not getting up to turn a light switch down or off or whatever uh, and clapping your hands to having one a chip in you, uh, like Mr. Was it War, Warburg, whatever his name is, Warrington, uh, that advocates we all get chipped so that we can turn the lights off. Uh, oh, wow, eh? Uh, or open doors before we arrive at them and all that kind of stuff. It doesn't talk about the servos you need and all the money to make these things happen. But anyway, um, here's an article here to do with, uh, from Popular Science, of course, a great mouthpiece of the big boys. And it's from uh, the, 11th, the 20th of November, 2009. It says here, Intel wants brain implants in its customers' heads by 2020. Well, believe you me, it's already here in certain areas. They've, they've, they've used it with the paraplegics a few years ago. DARPA, there was wonderful guys who want to help. The, really, the real min job is actually to help quadriplegics. They really feel sorry for them. Well, that's who they were using as experiments, of course. And they, they found they could uh, have these subjects send emails 
uh, all by thinking about them with the chips implanted in their brains. Well, so this stuff is getting you ready for it, but it's actually going to be a lot, a lot quicker than it's telling you. I don't want to scare you too much. And it says here, um, if the idea of turning consumers into true cyborgs sound creepy, don't tell Intel researchers. Intel's Pittsburgh lab aims to develop brain implants that can control all sorts of gadgets directly via brainwaves by 2020. The scientists anticipate the consumers will adapt quickly. Well, they will too. Yeah. They've adapted to everything else we've given to the idea and indeed crave, crave the freedom of not requiring a keyboard, mouse or remote control for surfing the web or changing channels. They also predict that people will tire of multi-touch devices such as their precious iPhones, Android smartphones and even Microsoft's wacky Surface Table. Turning brainwaves into real-world tech action still requires some heavy decoding of brain activity. The Intel team has already made use of MRI brain scans to match brain patterns with similar thoughts across many test subjects. And um, as is plenty of other researchers also have tinkered with this idea. Toyota recently demoed a wheelchair control with brainwaves and University of Utah researchers have created a wireless brain transmitter that allows monkeys to control robotic arms. They were doing that for the military even long before that, using monkeys as well as test subjects. There are still more implications to creating a seamless brain interface besides having more cyborgs running around. If scientists can translate them into specific actions, there's no reason why they could not create a virtual world with a full spectrum of activity tied to those brain waves. That's right, we're seeing matrix creep. And as I said years ago, they could put you on a farm shoveling dung out of the barn, and meanwhile in your head you're living a, a lovely dream that you're, you're a moonraker, you're James Bond, you're out somewhere else doing amazing things. And you'd be quite happy with that. Quite happy indeed. Now, and people will rush for it. Remember what Rockefeller said, that people will come to them with perfect docility, how do you, why, do you, why do you think they make these statements at their big world meetings? Hmm? They absolutely, they understand the average person absolutely 100%. And the peer pressure that goes along with it too. And the fact that people are getting trained. See, the more they yap on their cell phones and, and texting each other and they, and they can't walk around and think for themselves, they cannot live with themselves in silence. It becomes creepy for them to have a thought run through their head that was actually theirs. They're used to noise and, and either music banging away there or someone else's voice in there. Wherever they are, this, this thing's stuck in their ear, they just can't do without it. And now it terrifies them to be literally on their own for five minutes. So yeah, they will go for the brain chip. This article here is from Wired. Homeland Security wants cell phones to sniff for bioagents. This is for you, actually, you see. And it's from April the 12th. Your cell phone can already tell you where to find the nearest Starbucks or the most convenient subway station. That means you don't need your brain at all, you see. You as well as getting the chip. But it might soon be smart enough to alert you to a toxic threat during your morning commute or coffee break, thanks to a new plan from the Department of Homeland Security. I love the way they present these little things to the public. The last time we heard about cell phones and terrorism, it was an appeal from the NYPD to shut off cell communication during an attack. 
Now, Homeland Security's Science and Technology Directorate want to use cell phones to detect the very threats that might be coordinated using wireless chit-chat. Their new program called Cell All would embed inexpensive chemical-sniffing microchips into cellular telephones. If a dangerous level of air-based toxin is detected, the phone would issue a warning ring or vibration to alert the owner and listen to this. And listen to this, folks. This is for your phones coming up. And send a message to a centralized military monitoring station. Can you imagine coming out with the dry cleaner and you, and you drape your thing over your arm? And then you go and phone someone and this thing's alerting the military. Next thing, you're, you're carried off or shot by a SWAT team because it picked up the chemicals off the cloning. A whole bunch of things are going to happen here. You, you can just tell it. But it won't stop the schmucks from buying it. Can't do without it, eh? says, and since the vast majority of Americans carry cell phones wherever they go, the program would use aggregated reports of toxin detection within a small area. Of hundreds of cell, of cell phones in one location start flooding the alert system, the military knows they've got a serious threat to contend with. That's a bunch of guys, you know, in a little place uh, using matches to light cigarettes. You know, the sulfur off the matches, you know, psh, ready. They get, they get machine gunned, they'll be riddled to death before they know it. Do you think that smoking was such a threat to anybody? You soon will. Anyway, it says they've got a serious threat to contend with. Detection, transmission, and analysis would take around 60 seconds, according to a press release from the directorate. I love how what we've got now. We've got directorates. Directorate, the, the directorate will be. Given that terrorist attacks are usually launched in highly populated areas, subways, malls, office buildings, the idea of crowdsourcing the detection of toxic terror threats makes a lot of sense, and using a built-in cell phone application would give the military the ability to detect threats in every corner of the country. So they're watching you, they're watching you, they're listening to you, because they can activate them and listen even when it's off. Um, now they can sniff you. <laughs> Oh, no, dear, dear, dear. That was in the movie Brazil, by the way. Everything that happens was in that comedy, because those guys knew what was coming up. They knew. They all went to Oxford University and talked to the best brains. Uh, they knew what was all planned for the future. And, and they go into the Department of Information Retrieval, and this robot comes up with these sniffers, and they photograph you from all angles and sniff you. <laughs> Privacy is as important as technology, Stephen Dennis says. After all, uh, for sell all to succeed, people must be comfortable enough to turn it on in the first place. Don't worry about it, son. They'll do it. They'll do it, son. That's good news for privacy zealots and conspiracy theorists, some of those crazy, wacky people. But bad news for the program's potential effectiveness, given that crowdsourced intelligence depends on knowing that there's a crowd to be sourced in the first place. The directory, the directory is already in research and development talks with Apple, IG, Qualcomm, and Samsung, and anticipate having 40 different cell phone prototypes within a year. And that'll be the norm. Yep, and you'll buy your, your chains. Just buy them. Yep. Uh, I think I'll too, we'll get used to the cops reading us all the time. Maybe that's part of the whole idea. Each time it's a little, you, you, you've been using some paint cleaner or something like that. You, you're using some ammonia to get some gum or goo off something. And uh, whatever it happens to be, and in they come, and it becomes a common occurrence, you know. And, and they'll have a, a nickname term for it. So when you see your neighbors getting raided, and they'll say it was a, uh, a, a mal raid or something like that, you know. Uh, and we'll get used to it.
Now, you'll never understand the genetically modified crops unless you look at uh, population control. And you read the articles put out by the big uh, bioethics committees. I've got some here. I'm going to put some sites up tonight from their own site, in fact, for the bioethics committee. And they start off with the history of eugenics, which they all completely believe in. And they need to cull off different kinds of people. They've got different quotes up there from some of their best eugenicists uh, on the need to do so. And uh, it's real worth reading. But you understand that this is all part of the, the theory of evolution. It's taught through all branches of science today as a, as a religion. And that therefore, um, people like Huxley, like uh, Julian Huxley and others, are hailed as heroes. Uh, and they were part of depopulation uh, uh, agendas and abortion organizations and so on until it becomes common. And it's become common already. But uh, Huxley and others talked about need to, to really kill down all the useless type eaters, the ones who, who did not um, come up to par, their, their par, their standards. But they also talked about the obsolete man who had not evolved up to that level. Apparently the only ones who have evolved are the ones with lots of letters behind their names who sit in committees uh, lording over us. So eventually when they got rid of all us, I guess they'll have no one to lord over. They'll have to create clones and, and boss them around or something. I've no, I don't know. I'm sure something's in the work. But that's really how, how they judge uh, superior and inferior types, you see. And remember, uh, Julian Huxley said, we've got to stop people thinking just about um, stopping life. That was abortion and sterilization, which he was all for, like Paul Ehrlich and Mr. John Holdren, who's a science czar for the U.S. But uh, they also talked about the need to start thinking about um, uh, increasing the death rate of living people. Increasing the death rate. Well, we're seeing it now. Everybody's going to die with cancer. It's now called normal in medical schools as they churn them out with a new normal. And uh, that's that's all because of your inoculations and your food, uh, both of which were mentioned by um, uh, Julian Huxley and and uh, Bertrand Russell and and many others actually, and and again Paul Ehrlich and Holdren. So this is from the Mail Online. Fears grow as study shows genetically modified crops can cause liver and kidney damage. This is another one. So one of, from the very beginning, they were killing uh, people. They even killed all the test animals too. You know, then what can you do? It was a mandated thing by the governments, uh, held in secret agreements by governments and Monsanto and others. And Canada was a test guinea pig for the human variety for 10 years before uh, somebody in Britain blew the whistle that that was so. And then the government came out for damage control. And this is from 21st of January 2010. Fresh fears were raised over GM crops yesterday after a study showed they can cause liver and kidney damage. According to the research, animals fed on three strains of genetically modified maize created by the U.S. biotech firm Monsanto suffered signs of organ damage after just three months. Three months. The findings only came to light after Monsanto was forced to publish its raw data on safety tests by anti-GM campaigners. They add to the evidence that GM crops may damage health as well as to be harmful to the environment. The figures released by Monsanto were examined by French researcher Dr. Giles-Eric Serolini from the University of Caine. Yesterday, he called for more studies to check for long-term organ damage. 
what we've shown is clearly not proof of toxicity, I'd say is a good bit of proof, but signs of toxicity, he told New Scientist magazine. I'm sure there's no acute toxicity, but who's to say there are no chronic effects, long-term effects? The experiments were carried out by Monsanto researchers on three strains of GM maize. Two of the varieties contain genes from the BT protein, which protects the plant against the corn borer pest. Well, a third was genetically modified to be resistant to the weed killer glyphosate. Glyphosate. All three strains are widely grown in America, while one is the only GM crop grown in Europe, mostly in Spain. Monsanto only released the raw data after a legal challenge from Greenpeace and the Swedish Board of Agriculture and French anti-GM campaigners. Dr. Serlinian concluded that rats which ate the GM maize had statistically significant signs of liver and kidney damage. Each strain was linked to unusual concentrations of hormones in the blood and urine of rats fed the maize for three months, compared to rats given a non-GM diet. The higher hormone levels suggested animals' livers and kidneys were not working properly. Female rats fed on one of the strains also had higher blood sugar levels and raised levels of fatty substances caused triglycerides. Dr. Serlini reported in the International Journal of Microbiology. The analysis concluded these substances have never before been an integral part of the human or animal diet. Never, uh, never been there before. And therefore, there, there are health consequences for those who consume them, especially over long-term periods, are currently unknown. Monsanto claimed the analysis of its data was based on faulty analytical methods and reasoning and does not call into question the safety findings for these products. Uh, Mandated by all governments, though. Doesn't that make you wonder? I've read the articles here before where one of the main uh, bases for Monsanto in the States, uh, they got a catering company for all their staff, and they were mandated not to bring in any GM food and feed it to the staff. They were, it was non-GM only. They won't eat the stuff themselves because they know what it does, you see. I read that on the air too. I'll be back with more after this break. Hi folks, this is Alan Watt and we're cutting through the matrix. I also put up the American Bioethic Advisory Commission uh, link for the, the website at cuttingthroughthematrix.com at the end of the show. Go into the audio section and uh, you'll find uh, these different links and so on from the particular shows. And it goes through a good part of the history of eugenics and uh, up to its present force. Also, it's quite good. It goes into the fact that there was a eugenicist who failed so miserably after Adolf Hitler, a bad name, that they eventually went into creating the environmental movement as a big push for depopulation. And that's what drives global, the global warming nonsense and uh, man's destroyer of the planet, as the Club of Rome keeps prattling on about. Now, we'll go to Joe in California. Are you there, Joe? Hi, Alan. Hello. It's great to talk to you. Um, I want to refer to that Pike letter to Manzini of August the 15th, 1871. Mm -hmm. And in it, he says at the end there, uh, the people will receive the true light 
through the universal manifestation of the pure doctrine of Lucifer. Mm-hmm. Can you give me a hint of what, what, what exactly does that mean, the pure doctrine of Lucifer? Well, the pure doctrine of Lucifer is an ordered society, basically, where everyone does exactly as they're told, or you have hell to pay, so to speak. <laughs> Are we referring, is he referring, though, to some supernatural force or... Well, some of them in the, the higher Masonic lodges do claim that in a particular degree they, they bring in this uh, power. And what they used to refer to is you, you bring in, just like Christians bring in uh, the Holy Ghost, they bring in uh, the, the, the power or, or the spirit of Lucifer. That, that was common in 1800s, with a, and it still is in some of the, the higher Masonic sects today. It depends which ones you, you go into. Yeah. Um, I think uh, one time you mentioned on an interview with a Dr. Stan Monteef mm-hmm. that uh, you actually witnessed or believed you witnessed. I don't know exactly how you. No, I knew I knew Masons, uh, different Masons who didn't know each other from different parts of the country, who both told me or, two or three of them told me the same story of a particular degree of the higher lodge which each one had attended in their own area, where they saw this happening. Uh, to a higher candidate uh, brought up onto a little platform stage and uh, with two of the ushers of course it always got two and um, this light appeared it could be gimmickry who knows but uh, they, they, they did swear that their eyes turned red when this uh, triangular light like a pyramid uh, surrounding them shone through they couldn't see the bodies anymore just the red eyes it's, it's very very good show mind you and it could be showmanship but but who knows um that might also be to convince all the other members that it's real, because they have used a lot of skullduggery in the past and magic tricks and all the rest of it. However, if you're a candidate and you believe that's happened, you certainly will behave differently uh, after it's over. You'll believe that you have this seething power, as they call it, of Lucifer. Yeah. Okay, well, it's interesting. Um, sometimes you refer to people who are fools or whatever, use the Yiddish word schmucks. Yep. Uh, actually, the word should be putzes, Alan. Well, I like schmuck, actually. A putz, too, is a bit kind of a silly person. Putz is a fool. <laughs> but, but a schmuck's more, 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 it's more widely known by the, it's more widely known because of the movies, the schmuck, you know. See, a schmuck is a bit different, too. A schmuck is someone who's actually, it's like a, an accident, a, a person waiting for an accident to happen. You, you can't mistake these kind of people. Where a putz, in a sense, is, is just a, a bit simple, you know. One last thing. Um, have you, uh, are you familiar with Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning? Uh, I've read some parts of it, but I'll have to go on to the next caller. There's Bob from California as well. Are you there, Bob? Is Bob yeah, there? there? Yes. Hey, uh, it's an honor to talk to you, sir. Hey, uh, I just want to give you a heads up on uh, the uh, geoengineering you were talking about the other day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, tonight at uh, on NPR at 7 p.m., they have a big uh, geoengineering talk, and I'm sure they're going to use a lot of big words and uh, soothing voices to uh, to uh, get their point across, but I don't know if you wanted to uh, check that out or not. But um, mm-hmm. you were talking about the um, – uh, you gave a couple links the other day to, uh, to the underwriters uh, of those studies. Uh, I think you posted them two days ago. Yeah. Uh, those are the very underwriters uh, that uh, underwrite the news hour with Jim Lehrer. I thought it was an interesting coincidence. That yeah, that's right. There's all coincidences, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, so, um... But what I loved, too, was that recent meeting there was in, in uh, L.A. 
where all the geoengineers were in there talking about the possibility of doing this and all the negative connotations. And what, when you went through the list of the scientists, they'd all worked for the Pentagon and war departments on this very topic for the last 30, 40 years. I mean, they, make the, they made their living on working on this stuff. And so they're doing it. They know darn well, and, and we know they're doing it. And so they've got all the data there on how it affects us, too. Yeah. And they'll deny that it's still going on, even after they, they talk about it tonight. So yes. I mean, you won't get anyone to be able to admit it, admit to it. Uh, mm-hmm. so. uh, the other thing you were talking about, the uh, the police state and, and the cameras everywhere. And uh, just uh, they, they have cameras going up all over the city here uh, on every intersection. And they're not those ticket cameras. They just mm-hmm. observe uh, and report cameras. I thought yeah. I'd uh, let you know about that, too. But it That's seems right. to be going everywhere, you know, just... Um, Mm-hmm. Keeping an eye on everyone. Do you know they even have them inside the public washrooms all throughout Britain now, and, and that in southern England? Really? Really? Yeah, you, you can't even... Sure, why not? Let's go. Yeah. Let's <laughs> I guess folk are used to it. There's no privacy. Who needs it? You know, and and that's it. But the training, now many well, accept it. It's an honor, uh, Alan, and uh, keep keep doing what you're doing, sir. I will do. Uh, okay, folks, that's the music coming in, and I might get Jeff from Massachusetts next time. So from Hamish, myself, and Ontario, Canada, it's good night, and may your God or your gods go with you.